0: This is a talk based on Christ's Excellencies, a digression written by John Owen in communion with God. A husband wants to know his bride is his and not another's. This is at the very heart of what it means to love our spouses. If I say that I love my wife and I do all sorts of things for her around the house and help her with the children and work hard so that she can buy whatever she wants. But in the end, my heart belongs to another woman. It means very little indeed. I am lost to her. But what might draw me back is if I see how my wife is better than any other, if I might see how excellent she is, if she would be willing to have me. We as Christians have the greatest privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as our bridegroom, and we the church are his bride. Our hearts ought to belong wholly to him. The problem is, if you're anything like me, you know how prone to wander your heart is. It's as if our sin, our pride, the world and the devil ask the question in the Song of Songs, what is in the Lord Jesus your beloved? more than another other beloveds that he is better than them and we don't have a good enough answer we don't know his excellencies or at least not when it matters and John Owen would change that for us I did a talk at the very start of lockdown on the father's love from John Owen's volume communion with God communion with God is based on the verse and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all the premise is that there is a peculiar sense in which the saints commune, that is, relate to and um, spend time with. Uh, it seems like the saints particularly hold communion and relate to the Father in love with Christ in grace and with the Spirit in fellowship. That's what, why he, he goes to this verse with the, the, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those chapters on the, the Father's love continue to be two of the most wonderful I've ever read. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that talk or just read it for yourself online, I'd encourage you to do so before you listen uh, to this talk. But having considered how we hold communion with the Father in love, Owen goes on to consider how we hold communion with the Son in grace. And the relationship that he focuses on in which we relate to the Lord Jesus is that he is our bridegroom and we're his bride. He writes a little summary. He he says, let our souls be persuaded of Jesus' sincerity and willingness to in giving himself in all that he is to be ours. And let us tell him that we will be for him and not for another. Let him know it from us. He delights to hear it. But then he makes what he calls a digression. He says, I shall turn aside to a more full description of some of the personal excellencies of the Lord Christ. And like with Jonathan Edwards' 27,000-word sermon, this is an 80-odd page digression, at least in the version I have. You know, this is not so much a digression as a whole other book. But the point of this digression is, if you know how excellent Jesus is, if we know it deeply, we will think, why would I ever give my heart to something else? We will think, when asked what is in our beloved more than other beloveds, that he's better than others, we'll think so much. And we will count all other beloveds, whether sin, world, our own righteousness, as loss, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him and give our hearts to be wholly his, we'll think this Jesus, this excellent Jesus has given himself for me and wants me. How can I not give myself to him? Now in this digression, Owen majors on two of his excellencies. He's excellent, he says, firstly, in who he is, and excellent, secondly, in what he reveals. We've, we're only going to focus on the first of those, but that one splits into three, and each of these three has various subpoints. So this is, I'm sorry, this is confusing. I, I Hopefully it'll make sense as we go through. So Owen says, in who Jesus is, he's excellent because he is fully God, fully man, and in one person. He, he thinks about what is excellent about Jesus because he is divine, because he is man, and because he is God and man in one person. So firstly, point one, his deity. He is excellent in his deity in that he is fully God. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten son. He is fully divine and that makes him excellent. And you think, of course it does. Owen, Owen says, think about it, the best saints of old have been afraid and amazed at the beauty of an angel. And the bravest sinner trembles at the glory of one of those creatures in a low appearance. He says, just, they just see his, their backs and they're terrified. But the angels in their highest advancement cover their faces in the presence of our beloved. If anyone should ask what is in the Lord Jesus, our beloved more than another beloveds, that he's better than others, I ask what is a king more than a beggar? And we may say much in every way, but they were both born and they will both die. What is an angel more than a worm? So, so much, but a worm is a creature and an angel is no more. There is some similarity. But what are all the nothings of the world to the God infinitely blessed forevermore? This is our beloved. And because he is God, there are things that make him excellent and wonderful that cannot be counted. It's like going into a vast garden with a greater variety of flowers and trees and crops and beautiful things that we could ever take in. But we can only manage to spot a two. So Owen says, let me just give you a couple of them. And if you want, you can study further in your own time. So point (laughs) 1.1. Because Jesus is God, there is in our beloved inexhaustible grace, endless, bottomless, boundless grace and compassion in him who is our husband. Owen here gets us to think about Jesus' divine and human nature, and he says, you know, he loved us in our human nature, and he loved us well. There was a fullness of grace in the human nature of Jesus, like that of the light and the sun, or of the water of the sea, But it cannot be an infinite fullness, because his human nature was created, though it was perfect. And so he continues, if the the love we could drink from was simply from his human nature, then even as full of love and compassion towards sinners as that nature was, surely with so many thirsty, guilty souls, as every day day drink deep and large draughts of grace and mercy, would sink it. If he were just a man, we, we would drink his love dry. But because his humanity is a conduit, a funnel, as it were, inseparably united to his deity, who can look into the depths of his grace? He calls to all the world and to us, drink and drink abundantly. Take as much love and grace and pardon as you need, sufficient for the world of sin, which is every one of you. And though we come to him with our wretched sins every day, every moment, we can never exhaust his love or his pardon for sin. How different that is to me. My patience wears out so quickly. But Jesus never tires of you coming to him of your sin and failure to find in him grace and mercy. Because he is fully God, his love for you can never run out. Show me the sinner that can spread his sins to the, the dimensions of divine grace. Who else is like that? And then point one, point two, (laughs) because Jesus is God, there is in our beloved eternal, unchangeable, and fruitful love. Owen brought out eternal, unchangeable love and his thoughts of the Father's love, and and so I'll, I'll leave what he says on those. Let me just focus on the last of those, fruitful love. Owen writes, a man may love another as his own soul, and if we do, we want good things for the one we love. But just because we love them deeply, what we want in our love may not happen. Our love sometimes cannot help the one we love. We may pity someone in prison, but not relieve him. We may bemoan someone in, in misery, but not help them. Suffer with someone, and yet not ease them. And we cannot love grace into a child, nor mercy into a friend. We cannot love them into heaven, though it may be the great longing of our soul. But now the love of Christ, being the love of God, is fruitful. It produces all the good things he desires for his beloved. He loves life, grace, and holiness into us. He loves us into covenant with him. He loves us into heaven. Wow, it's just a wonderful thought, isn't it? That Jesus loves us into heaven. What is in our beloved more than others? Well, he's God. Let us give our hearts to him. Next, Owen talks about how he's excellent in his humanity. So, point two. His humanity, and again, it's is hilarious in some ways. He, he's, he's already on an 80-odd page digression. He's already said in the, the bit about his deity that there's so much to be said and I can't possibly tell you it all. And now he says it again. He says, let me just point out a couple of he, things here. There, there's so much more that could be said. And you're thinking, gosh, how long could this digression been? And uh, 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 infinite I suppose, is kind of the point. So point 2.1, point he is lovely in his humanity, because he is free from sin. Is it not our sin that makes us most ugly, most repulsive, most love, unlovely in the end? You know, even, a sp- even in the world, people recognize in the end that character is so important in, the, in a spouse. Well, Jesus had a perfect character. He, didn't, he did not sin, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He is holy and harmless and undefiled. He fulfilled all righteousness. He was not in Adam in the sense of his sin as we are. We are all sinful from the moment of our conception. But he being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit was not. And he never could sin. And yet in love he was content for our sakes to be numbered among the transgressions and undergo the punishment we deserve. Though he had nothing to do with any sin of any man, he took our sins upon him and buried them in the grave. Our sin makes us repulsive and yet he, the sinless one, counts as beautiful because of his death for us. He says, you're fair. You have no spot on you. But how beautiful must he be who never had least the least spot or stain. And secondly, in this point, he says, he is lovely in his humanity because he is full of grace. But which Owen means he is the perfect man. He had the spirit without measure. He had all that makes a human good. And all those things to their fullest extent, and he still does. You know, we tend to have something, some things going for us to some extent, but not others. One of us is patient and pretty patient, but not zealous. Another is very diligent in their work, but not joyful. But he as a man had everything, so full of all that is good, that he could be our perfect example, that he could enjoy uninterrupted communion with his father, that he could fully triumph over all trials and temptations in his way, that he could obey the whole law, That he could be the most glorious living temple of God, that he could fully please and delight his father as man, giving an everlasting monument to the glory of God. And so Owen says he's excellent in his deity. He is excellent in his humanity. And then Owen considers how excellent our beloved is as God and man in one person. As if to say there are things that make Jesus excellent because he's God, excellent because he's man. But there are some things that make him excellent only because he is God and man in one person forevermore. He is the word made flesh, not by a conversion of itself into flesh, not by appearing in the outward shape and form of flesh, but as he is fully God and fully man, the only begotten son of the father made flesh and from this union arises the grace peace life and security of the church his bride so first point under this because he is got a man he is able to bear our due you know it's interesting if someone were to ask me or i think many of us why did jesus have to be god and man to die on our behalf i think what we tend to answer is he had to be man so he could die in our place so be a like for like and he had to be God, so there would be no innocent party. Owen here gives us two different reasons. He says, and this is just an amazing line, he says, Because he is God and man, there was not enough room in his breast to receive all the points of all the swords that were sharpened by the law against us and strength enough in his shoulders to bear the burden of that curse that was due to us. He says, had he not been man, he could not have suffered for us. And that's why he has become man. But had he not been God, his suffering could not have helped us. After all, how could the suffering of a mere man bear the punishment for all the sins of all the saints, even of the least deviation to the law? If he had just been a man, the punishment he bore would have buried him. But because he is the image of God and the exact representation of his being, he could bear this wrath. And after he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. By his wounds, the wounds of the God-man, we have been healed. And so he is excellent. second point under this, he is the giver of the Spirit. Having died and risen again, in Acts 2.33 we read that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. All the things of the new covenant, all the promises of God, all the mercy, love and grace and glory promised in the Old Testament became his when he ascended, one with his precious blood. Not that they weren't his before as God, but as God, as God and man, he won the right to bestow them on his bride, his people, as he thinks good. And he pours them out on us all through the Holy Spirit, according to his infinite wisdom, as he sees needful. In other words... He is able to give you what you need when you need it at all times because he is the giver of the Spirit. He's one, the Spirit, to pour on us, on us. He is, thirdly, the perfect mediator. He is one with the Father and one with us and one in himself in this oneness. Through him we are led by the hand to the Father, the fountain of all good and the source of all love. And finally, under this point, he has all our authority. When Jacob heard of the exaltation of his son in Joseph and saw the chariots that he'd sent for him, his son fainted and recovered again through abundance of joy. The, the son whom he thought he had lost was ruler of Egypt. Is our beloved lost, who whilst on earth was for our sakes poor and persecuted, reviled and killed? No, he was dead, but he is alive and he lives forever and ever and has the keys of hell and death. Our beloved is made Lord. And king, crowned with glory and honor. And what is he made king of? All things are put in subjection under his feet. And so let me come to Owen's conclusion. What is in the Lord Jesus, our beloved, more than other beloveds, that he's better than others? What makes him excellent? Well, he is altogether lovely. Lovely in his person in the glorious all-sufficiency of his deity, in the glorious purity and holiness of his humanity, in his authority and majesty, power and love. He's lovely in his birth and incarnation. When he was rich, for our sakes, he became poor, taking on flesh and blood because we partook of the same, that we might be made like, that he may, might, might be made like us in every way except sin for our sakes. He's lovely in the whole course of his life. And the more than angelic holiness and obedience with which he lived, whilst in the depths of poverty and persecution, receiving evil and being cursed, reviled and reproached, he did good and blessed all his days. He's lovely in his death, yes, here most lovely to sinners, never more glorious and desirable than when he came broken, dead from the cross. Then had he carried all our sins as far as the east is from the west. Then had he made peace and reconciliation for us. Then had he won life and immortality for us lovely in his whole employment, in his great undertaking, in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, being a mediator between God and us, to recover the glory of God's justice and to save our souls, to bring us to an enjoyment of God, who was set at such an infinite distance from him by sin. He is lovely in, glory in, his, glo- uh, lovely in his glory and majesty with which is crowned. He's lovely in all those supplies of grace and consolation which he pours out through the Spirit. He's lovely in all the tender care which he exercises in the protection of his persecuted people, bringing them to glory. He's lovely in all his ordinances and the whole spiritual worship he has appointed to his people whereby we can draw near and have communion with him and his Father. He is lovely in the vengeance he takes and will finally execute, lovely in the pardon he purchases, in the reconciliation he has established, the grace he communicates, the consolation he administers, in the peace and joy he gives the saints, in his assured preservation of them to glory. What shall I say? There is no end of his excellencies and desirableness. He is altogether lovely. This is our beloved, and this is our friend, O daughters of Jerusalem." Let me end with this paragraph of John Owens. He says, how glorious is he that is our, the beloved of our souls? What can be wanting that should encourage us to take up our rest and peace in his bosom? Let us dwell on the thoughts of him. What poor, low, perishing things do we spend our time thinking about? Were we to have no advantage by knowing Jesus, yet his excellency, glory, beauty, depth deserves the flower of our inquiries, the vigor of our spirits, the substance of our time. But when knowing him and through him the Father is our life, our peace, our joy, our inheritance, our eternity, our all. Lies in this should not thoughts of him always dwell in our hearts, always refresh and delight our souls and keep our hearts to be wholly his.